You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. How are you doing on your uh, New Year's goals or resolutions? Yeah, you laugh because usually by the first week, 98% of us has stopped. But I know I've fired up my fitness app. And, um, you know, you need to actually not just fire up the app, but actually do it, right? <laughs> That's why we're laughing. But, but I, you know, and I have a renewed resolve to lose a little bit more weight and to get in better shape, which is always a good one. And I, too, want to accomplish all those various goals uh, to refresh and to revitalize and to restore and New Year is a great time to revive all kinds of hopes and aspirations and interests and dreams in our life. And we do love new starts, new ventures, new awakenings, you know, like a Star Wars movie. And, and, uh, and it seems like uh, we're getting all kinds of advice from everywhere and anywhere on what is the right formula for revitalization. Uh, what, what's the right formula for awaking the best part of you? So what is that best formula or the environment for revival in our, in our lives? Uh, on Facebook, I saw a post that espouses 50 ways to be revived. Now, some of these are, are pretty good. You know, one of them says, stop consuming caffeine. I'm going, how can you survive without caffeine. <laughs> How many of you have a cup of coffee or some kind of caffeine in the morning? Yeah, woo, Andy's going, woo, I had lots this morning. <laughs> Another one was pray. That's, that's a good one. Read, journal. This one I do not understand. It says, if you want to be revitalized every day, take a cold shower every morning. I go, are you kidding me? I mean, you may be wide awake <laughs> and feel a little bit invigorated after you, you know, survive the heart attack of that cold shower. Other ones are simplify, uh, be generous, tithe. And then I love this one, floss. It's a way to be revived. Uh, and there are many more. Now, these are, these are fun, and, and some seem good, except for the cold shower thing. But, <clears throat> but the Bible tells us... Uh, True renewal, true revival is a life centered on the Lord Jesus. Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to, to, to find a, a right path in life, you want to follow the truth, because you know that this day it's hard to find out what is truth, and you want a life, a real life, the life you're designed, it's found in Jesus. The Bible's really clear about that as well. Matthew 6, Jesus brings order. It says, seek first the kingdom of God, which is Christ on the throne of our life, and all these things, all the things you worry about will be put in their place, added unto us. <clears throat> Colossians 1, says that Jesus creates and he holds things together. He's the one who, who sets everything into motion, and then he's the one who holds it all together. And as Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Jesus helps and heals. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, Jesus says. Take my yoke, which is a, his way of life, upon him, for that's the right way of life. And as Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, is that Jesus is the one who saves us from the plight of our sin. <clears throat> that he who he came to, to pay that penalty for us, Jesus is the one who did that. And yet we tend to, to be uh, a little different. We tend to be a lot like Israel of the Old Testament. 
where we cycle through slogging through life kind of on our own or just surviving with moments of thriving as children of God. Uh, it's interesting, the Bible uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, and, and you could write that down and read it, read it later, read the whole chapter. It, it talks about how we should look at Israel, uh, ancient Israel, and, and, and follow their example and, and really avoid their mistakes, but also follow their example. Like when they were revived as Nehemiah challenged them to get back to making the Lord central. Now, the history of, of ancient Israel is that God uh, understood in God's big story, he, had this, he created everything that we see, and uh, man sinned and separated himself from God, and God set in motion a revival plan. Uh, that revival plan had, uh, it, it was going to be brought through a family, actually an individual named Abram first and Abraham later, and through his family was going to come revival, was going to become restoration, was going to come redemption. And so this family grew, and, and then Israel became the patriarch of that family, and they were doing fantastic, and God set to them a plan, an order, gave them commandments to follow, and when they followed God commandment, God's commandments, they were great, and God said, if you don't follow my commandments, it's not going to be so good. And they went back and forth with that and grew in huge numbers, moved down to Egypt, and as time went on, moved into slavery. They became slaves in Egypt. God sent a deliverer that would be like Christ called Moses, and Moses set his people free, uh, brought them out and brought them you know, through the Red Sea and, and had them exist and, and wander the desert for 40 days and, and uh, 40, not days, <laughs> a long time through a whole generation uh, uh, was gone and then had them moved into a land that they had promised, a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, they would follow different kings as they would have kings and some would do good and the nation would do good and some would do bad and the nation would do bad, but, but they decided not to follow God's way. And so God had finally said, okay, that's it. I'm gonna send you into exile and Babylon conquered Israel. And they had been in, under this uh, oppressive rule for a long time and finally God was done with that and said, okay, we're gonna now let you go back to the land. And Ezra took a, a, a group, Ezra, a prophet of God, one who's a, a leader and a, and a righteous man and one who spoke for God, took a remnant back to, to Jerusalem, the, the center of the promised land. And they began to live, uh, but they were dejected still. And then God sent Nehemiah, Nehemiah to help now rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because of Jerusalem, the city was in ruin and, and like the city, their faith was in shambles, dejected and defeated and deflated. But God used Nehemiah to bring this nation to be revived in the Lord to the point where they experienced a, a reconnection with the Lord and let the joy of the Lord be their strength, as Nehemiah 8.10 challenges, rejoicing in God and, and delighting in the presence of God. So the question comes, how do we have revival? How does revival happen and what can we learn to apply some of these elements uh, that happened in Nehemiah's time to our life today? And how do we put ourselves in the environment where Christ is central? And that's what we're going to learn over the course of this study as we take this taste and take us from now all the way through to uh, Easter. And we'll learn over the course uh, as we study this book how revival happens and what are some of the elements to add to the environment. Christ is the one who revives us, but what are some of the elements that we can add to our life so that we can 
enjoy Christ more. Now, Nehemiah starts out with a challenge to be revived through prayer. And we already began a study in prayer a couple weeks and had a night of prayer just this last night. And, and so we've already begun that study and primed to look at Nehemiah's prayers. We're going to learn five different elements of revival prayer. And so if you wouldn't mind uh, um, putting your books aside and just standing up one more time, kind of get that blood going. <clears throat> And let's pray and ask God to teach us something this morning. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, thank you that you allow us times of revival in our life. Just like as Nehemiah was used of you to bring a nation to revival, Lord, we know that you're going to use his story and what happened there to even bring revival in our own lives. Help us in that, Father, and challenge us to our point of need this morning. And may we learn something from your Holy Spirit, we pray in your Son's name. Amen. Have a seat. I encourage you to take out that outline and jot down some notes as we go along. But five <clears throat> elements of reviving prayer. The first of these five is praise. Let's look at uh, uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And I need glasses. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Shizlev, in the twelfth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, and Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them, Nehemiah's writing here, concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, now away from Babylon, back to Jerusalem. And concerning Jerusalem, the city. And they said to me, the remnant of the people and in Jerusalem, there in the province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed with fire. They were free. Israel was now free from this oppressive rule and sent back to, to Jerusalem. But they were dejected. Out from under that oppressive rule, but deflated. They were alone, a bit disillusioned with God. Here they were, God's chosen people, and yet they were struggling. And doesn't it feel like that sometimes in life? You know, we, we feel like, gosh, you know, I've been following God, I've been going to church, I've been doing these things, and life still is difficult. And sometimes we feel alone, we feel dejected, we feel like we're struggling through life. And we question, and we, we feel that, deflation in life. But listen to, to Nehemiah's response, verses four and five. As soon as I heard these words, Nehemiah says, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before God, for the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, Nehemiah doesn't get mad and go, gosh, God, why did this happen? I can't believe it. Even though he's, he's hurt and, and struggling over this, his, the home of his fathers, the, the, the center of his faith, all of that is, is, is in shambles, and he doesn't get upset. He doesn't get mad, not infuriated, not throwing a tantrum, not blaming God, but he prays, prays. He gives out prayers of praise. 
something happened in Nehemiah's life during this journey, and we're going to look at that a little bit too. Nehemiah was revived in his strength of God. We'll look at that as we go along here uh, through these weeks. But, <clears throat> but he didn't immediately even go to asking. He took a moment to praise God. Uh, three ways Nehemiah praises God. First, Nehemiah says, O Lord of heaven, using the, the high holy name of God, Yahweh, as, be, as we best understand it. Remember, it was so holy they didn't even put in the, the vowel pointing. In Hebrew, it's, it's all consonants and, and the vowels are different dots and dashes below and above the, the writing. So in this one, they left it out because they thought God's name was so sacred we didn't want anybody to even say it. The best as we could come out of is, is, is that it's is the name Yahweh, which is a, um, a personal name of God, one that, that Israel had a, you know, what is my name? I am. Uh, it is a personal connection with God. It's like the, the, it's not quite as glib of a nickname, you know, that, that, that certain person, I have my brother, um, his name is Alexander Ronald McKay Jr. And uh, there's only a few of us that call him by his nickname. His nickname is Spike, Mike and Spike. It, it has another meaning. I can tell you that some other time. But but uh, but but he lets me call him Spike because we have an endearing relationship. You know, I'll call him up. He's this big executive, and I go, "Hey, Spike, what's going on?" And somebody's going, "Spike, who's Spike?" And he says, "Shh, don't tell anybody that name." <laughs> Because it's a special name, an endearing name. In the same way with God, Yahweh is that endearing name, but we have so much more reverence and power behind it. And so Nehemiah addresses Yahweh, Yahweh of heaven, acknowledging God as the sovereign, almighty God over everything. I love how Psalm 68 says this in verses 34 and 35, ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God in his sanctuary, the God of Israel, that personalness. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. It's praising God for his power and his might and the loving relationship we have with him. Not some distant deity, but a very close God that we know is all-powerful. Nehemiah goes on to praise God by saying he's a great and awesome God, appreciating the grandeur and majesty and reverence of the total character of God. I mean, we just need to, need to look around at us and see all the amazingness of God. Some of you were here when we had the thunder and lightning storms a couple nights ago. It shook the house. Woo! God's more powerful than that. Uh, you, you've been, some, some of you have seen the large surf at the, at the ocean and hear the crashing, boom, thunder of the waves. God's more powerful than that. Some of you understand the intensity of the sun. If you've ever been in the desert and just felt that sun beating down on you, God's way more powerful than that. God is so powerful and awesome and incredible and yet we just need to look around us and see his power and his, his vastness with the stars and, and the systems and the planets and the animals and, and us and, and they all scream out how great and awesome God is. His might, his beauty, his creativeness, his exactness, his brilliance, his order. No wonder Jeremiah blurts out in Jeremiah 10, 6, there is none like you, O Lord, you are great, and your name is great in might. And, and as King David cries out to all who would hear in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, yours, O Lord, 
is the, is the greatest and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. It is praising God for his magnitude, his enormity, and how awesome he is. Nehemiah goes on to praise God for his loyal love, for God keeps his covenants and steadfast love to those who are committed to him. That steadfast love is the Hebrew word chesed. It's the covenant loyal love that God has for his people. It includes all of us who believe and who've come to that faith in Christ. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. And our devotion and obedience is the proper response to that. It's not the other way around. It's not like we earn God's love by doing good. He already loves us, period. And, and there's nothing we can do to earn it or to lose it. You see, it, it's just given to us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. it. It's given by grace. God just simply says, I love you. Not for what you've done, not for who you are, not for how great you've, you think you are, just because I do. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. And out of utter amazement of that love, we bind ourselves to him, committed to his will and his way in life. See, so maybe the the trouble in obedience that you're facing in following God is not out of not being able to try harder. Maybe it's because you're not quite grasping how much God loves you. Because the more you understand how much he loves you, the natural movement is to be more committed to him and out of love follow him. You see how that goes? Sometimes we have it the other way around. It's not that way. We cannot earn that love in any way. Revival happens when we open to God's amazing love that is expressed through prayers of praise. For in praise, we see how enormous God is and how amazing he is and how vast his love is and we just can't help but commit to him. Nehemiah turns his prayer to express trust. Look at uh, verse six, just the first part of that. It says, as he's praying to God, Nehemiah says, let your ear be attentive, your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Nehemiah trusts God will incline his ear to him because the Bible says so. His word says so, Psalm 66, 19. But truly, God listens. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. And as well, Jesus has said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But also in Psalm fifty, excuse me, sixty-five, two, Psalm thirty-four, fifteen, Psalm sixty-six, twenty, all say God hears us, as well as Psalm one forty-five, verse eighteen and nineteen, and First John five fourteen and fifteen. We'll look at that later. But they, they they talk about how God listens; He really does pay attention, and we can all have that confidence, even if we don't feel it. <laughs> have you ever been? Uh, 
talking to somebody on a cell phone and you're going off on this great story and you're just talking up, oh, this happened, this happened, this happened. And, and then you're waiting for the uh-huh a response and there's nothing there. And then you find out that that call got dropped like a couple minutes ago. <laughs> that never happens with God. Not a single time does God go, wait, what did you just say? Oh, wait, wait, I didn't quite hear that. Uh, you kind of glitched. Uh, the, the line kind of, I didn't quite, he never says that. He hangs on every single word you say. God really does care because his love for you is so deep, he can't wait to hear every word, even though he knows it before we're gonna say it. He loves it when we talk to him. He loves the sound of our voice and the sound of our thoughts. And he really pays attention. Let that truth revive you to boldly approach him. Trust God is listening. That's where revival happens, in that sense of trust. Well, Nehemiah, his prayer now turns to confession, the second part of verse six now through verse seven. He says, confessing the sins, he's praying to God, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, God, even I, Nehemiah says, and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses, Moses giving that law of God. Nehemiah acknowledges Israel's sin, his own sin. Sin meaning uh, missing the mark. That's what, what the word literally means. It means missing God's mark. Uh, and there's sins of, uh, of omission. That, in other words, we're omitting the things that God tells us to do. We're just not doing them. Or there's also sins of commission. In other words, we're committing sins of things that God has told us not to do, but we go ahead and do them anyways. <laughs> And those sins uh, affect our relationship. We talked about a lot about it last week, but it's not following God's will and way. And confession is a, a humility, a, a sense of being under God. And that's when, when you hear Nehemiah talk about servants in this, the last verse and then in this verse, and, and you'll hear him talk about it in the verses to come. It's being servant. And, and, and the, actually the term Nehemiah uses here is a, is a more severe term it means more slave of God. It's that total surrender and total dependence upon God, a, a surrender to his will and his way. <clears throat> See, because the question all along with Israel is who is really Lord of their life? Lord meaning owner, master. Because if he's really Lord, then you surrender to his will and his way. It's our question too. See, if you have to have your way all the time, you're really Lord. And what we sacrifice for is our Lord. What we set our hearts on is our Lord. What we look to find our purpose and adequacy and completeness in is our Lord. And if it's not the Lord Jesus, we're not his servant. You, you can't say, oh yeah, God, I serve you, I serve you, but I'm still gonna go my way. <laughs> you're just, you're being a double-minded person. You're being what's called a hypocrite. You're saying one thing and doing another. If we're truly his servant, we will surrender to his will and his way. And it's just like Israel. As they were seeking other gods, they're called idols because an idol is anything that takes the place of God in our life. That's an idol. Because it will not satisfy or help or bring purpose or completeness only God can do that. 
2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And as you read on, it's from God through Christ Jesus. Nehemiah saw sin in him and his people, and so he confessed it to God, that, that humility, that honesty, that surrender to the Lord, that's what will bring lev- revival. It's that coming to the place where we say, you know what? Yeah, I have been living... I've been saying I'm a follower of God, but I really am a follower of me. So let's take a moment. Bow your heads with me. And if you feel so led, just in the quietness of your own mind, you don't need to say these words out loud, but just confess to God your sin, omission, commission, not following God, really following self. Just take a moment in the silence of this moment and take some time to confess Confession is simply saying, God, you know what? (laughs) You're right. I have been going this. I have been doing that. If your mind is confused a little bit and not sure, just ask God to give you clarity and he'll bring things to your mind. So just take a moment. No music background, just a silence. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We know that you hang on every word and you want for us to confess those things. As David prayed that wonderful prayer of confession and Lord, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord, and renew in us that sense of salvation in you. And Lord, may we move on in joy, we pray in your son's name. Well, Nehemiah goes on in his prayer to express reliance, reliance on God. Look at verses 8 to 10. <clears throat> Remember the word that you commanded, Nehemiah is talking to God. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, Israel's unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, <clears throat> though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, From there, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and you and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your hand, O Lord. Nehemiah is expressing faith and belief in God's word. God says so and he believes it. God said that that if people would confess, excuse me, that people would confess that God would return them to their land and God would return them to the promise. Nehemiah is remembering the, the precepts and the principles and the teachings of God's word. And we're to do the same through the whole Bible, expressing confidence by our reliance on the truth, as we just mentioned in John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that as Matthew 6.33 says that, that Jesus brings order. In Colossians 1.6 that Jesus is the one who holds things together. And as Matthew 11.28 and 29 says that, that Jesus helps and heals as we move along the way. And that, as Romans 5.8 and 9 says that Jesus saves. See, we're not going to be revived by a reliance on self. Or others. Or a job. 
or a good marriage or finding that perfect someone or money or a new car or a remodel or getting amazing grades or winning or having people like us or being popular or being an influence. If those things happen, great. If you win the Powerball lottery, great. Just make sure you tithe. (laughs) (laughs) But we can't place our faith or reliance on them or anything else. For they can't bring us what God can. God's word says that we're to rely on him. It's not trite, but it's so true what Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7, and 8 say. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, the understanding in our world and those things around us, the things that we think make sense. Trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And all our way to acknowledge him In other words, keep our focus and trust in him and he will make our path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes, verse seven says, but put our trust and our hope in God. The question is, what do you really believe? Let it be Jesus. That's where revival happens. Well, now after prayers of praise and confession and expressing trust and reliance, Nehemiah now seeks a petition. He now seeks to ask a request. Verses 11, or verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayers of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today to grant him mercy in the sight of this man Now I was a cupbearer to the king, Nehemiah says. Nehemiah is praying for a successful outcome, as we will see, to approach the king, basically to change the king's mind as he dealt with Israel. That king, Artaxerxes, didn't really like Israel and did all he could to squash them. And Nehemiah is going before him in fear and trembling, fearing God more, that reverent respect of God. And Nehemiah asked God to give him success. Success in the request to go back to Jerusalem and to build the walls. For see, God can do stuff like that. God can do those audacious requests. He can move people in power. He can move and change people's hearts. However, the success is God's success, his purposes, his wills, his ways to be accomplished. Not Nehemiah's, not ours. And this is where we struggle. We want what we want, and the deeper we feel, the more we feel we deserve the request we ask. And we can't see any reason why God would not bring about that success, that healing, that help to a needy person, that job, a relationship, that someone to come back to the Lord, that that taking away of that bad habit, making that sale, paying that debt, (laughs) winning that lottery. Uh, We can't see why God wouldn't want to do that. And we feel deeply about it. And yet, if we fear the Lord and trust in him and his great love, relying on his word, regardless of the outcome, we can still ask. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, we mentioned it earlier. This is the confidence that we have towards God, towards him. That we ask anything according to his will, that's the key there, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We know that God hears us. 
And we pray, believing whatever the request has been laid on our heart, we pray earnestly. But it's not the earnestness of the prayer or how much you pray or how much you sweat that's going to change God's will. God's will is God's will. And as we pray, we, we pray that, because when people come and ask me, Pastor, please pray for healing. I'm praying for healing. And I know God can heal. But sometimes he doesn't. And I, I don't know why. I don't know why God didn't heal Paul of his thorn. I don't know why God didn't save this person, but did, in other words, save this person from, from death, but, but, but um, uh, did save this person. Why this person gets healed of cancer and that person doesn't. I don't know those. I just trust God all the way through it, knowing that his will is right. And even though I feel deeply about this and struggle with that at times and wonder and ask why, I still trust in him more than the why. And Nehemiah did that. He didn't know if he was going to be sentenced to death after this request or if God would grant him success. So he made his request. Look at verse two, or chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. <clears throat> in the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was taken before him, now it says in the verse previous that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. That, that was a very strategic position, a position of power. See, the cupbearer is what, what did all the, the food tasting before the king, so in case someone tried to poison the king, the cupbearer got it first. Uh, so this is a very... <laughs> um, difficult position to be in, but you trusted that person because if, if they were going to be okay with the food, you wanted to make sure that you really trusted that. So usually cupbearers became more than just um, a servant. They became more like a friend than a trusted confidant. So here it is. Nehemiah brings wine before the king and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence even though he had been struggling with this whole deal in Jerusalem. He had not been sad until now. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing, are you not sick? Because, you know, the king's going, oh, he's sad, whoops. <laughs> what have I eaten? <clears throat> and Nehemiah said, nothing, this is nothing but sadness of my heart. Then I was very much afraid, he says, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should I, my face not be sad when this city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins as its gates have been destroyed with fire? And the king said, what are you requesting? And, and Nehemiah, in his mind, goes great to prayer. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. God, give me the right words. <laughs> and he said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, that you should send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, and you're going to learn later on, that could have been Esther. How long will you be gone, the king said, and when we return, so it pleased the king to send me. And when I gave him a time and, and said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that, I may, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And then a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may grant me timber to make the beams and the gates and the fortresses and the temples and the walls for the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of God was upon me. 
uh, in this, uh, Nehemiah asks, he asks specifically, he asks uh, intricately. Nehemiah was also shrewd. He uses his influence to be able to ask of the king in that regard. And, and he continued to pray all the way through it. He had planned. He didn't just kind of just, well, whatever happens, happened. He had thought through what he needed. So when the king says, what do you need? He goes, well, let me pull out my list. Here's what I need. I need this, 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 this. And that's the way we should do with our petitions. We should think through our petitions. And for part of asking is making sure that we understand that. But that's where revival happens. So make those petitions to God. Ask of him. Most of us want to be refreshed. Most of us want to be reinvigorated or revived. And though a cold shower may wake you up, you can be assured that you can have You can be revived through prayer of our amazing, awesome, almighty God as we seek prayers of trust and praise and confession and reliance and petition. So why not make some resolutions this year around being revived through prayer? Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the the wonderful opportunity to come into your throne room and to be able to ask of you. Lord, we want to follow that pattern of, of prayer, of bringing you praise and and the glory do your name because you are so deserving of it. And we do rely and trust in you and we count on you and, and we confess our sins to you. And we're, we're asking you, Lord, when we come to you to help us in life. And so, Lord, be with us in that. And may our prayer life improve as we seek you and may we be revived because of that, we pray in your son's name. Amen. We have a custom in our church services where we have a time of reflection it's a time to just take a moment and pray it's very fitting today as we're talking about prayer we also have a moment where we have uh, our prayer team members and our pastors and our elders and they take places around our auditorium some are up front here and some are in the aisleways and on the sides and these people are they're standing and moving right now and they would love to to pray with you about anything that's on your heart and mind and if that if that helps you can pray and talk to god yourself he loves the sound of your thoughts But if you want someone to pray for you, whether it's an issue you're going through or even some of these things that we talked about and you need revival in your life, then then come to one of us. We'd love to pray for you about anything that's on your heart and mind. To make it easy for those who want to get out, if you wouldn't mind, uh, and to come see us if you wouldn't mind.